0: Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department at Derby. I'm Ian Lewins, uh, your host today, one of the consultants in CED and I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr Nigel Ruggins. Hello. Good afternoon, Nigel. Hi. And you're a general paediatrician with a respiratory interest. That's yeah. right, Yeah. So today we're going to talk a bit about wheeze, which is an incredibly common presentation to to GPs, to ourselves. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, actually, at some point, I'm sure all my kids have wheezed. Yeah. Why do do kids wheeze?
1: Well, it's a very common reaction to viral infections and to other uh, stimuluses. What we do know is that um, uh, asthma is a cause of wheeze. Uh, is prevalent in about one in 11 of uh, children. Uh, that can appear at any age. But if you look at the preschool child that wheezes, then around a third of children with, that are preschool will wheeze at some
0: stage in their life. So yeah. it's incredibly common. And it's, I think it's sort of the second commonest presentation to GPs that, that they, after fever is, is wheeze. And I think most people feel comfortable in diagnosing something like bronchiolitis. Yep. So you've got baby... In winter, hopefully. Well, I've seen my first this week. Yeah, it's starting to come. Um, Not feeding, wet cough, wheeze, crackles. I think people are comfortable with that. The question that's sort of often put is, how about when they get... And we don't do anything for the Bronx. No. But once they sort of get to 13 months, 14 months, 15 months, when do we start to think... Where where's the overlap between sort of viral-induced wheeze and bronchiolitis and, and does it matter? Yeah, well you're, you're, you're absolutely right in that
1: uh, when you see a classical bronchiolitis in a young baby it's very easy to recognise and diagnose and we know that any attempts at any therapeutic treatment in that group makes no difference at all either in the short or long-term outcome. Whereas there is this overlap period where um, young infants do get wheezing associated with viruses. And of course, one of those viruses may be RSV, which is the bronchiolitis virus. Yep. So it is a clinical diagnosis. And I would say we don't need to get very hung up about it because it's only really around the age of uh, 12 to 18 months. that you would see any response to bronchodilator treatment, for instance. So no one would get worked up about somebody trying a bronchodilator in that age group but just to see whether they can show any short-term response and if they do then it's probably appropriate to continue with it but if they don't then it's certainly
0: not worth upsetting the child and carrying on. And that's a key thing isn't it it's 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 if you've done something you've got to go back and has it made a difference? Absolutely. It's and not that, just a do it and walk off? No, and that's true with um, atrovent,
1: ipratropium bromide. We know that there have been some studies that suggest that younger children may respond to that. It works in a different way to the, the standard beta-2 agonist. So again, um, it may be worth a try, recognising that you don't get the immediate response that you do with beta-2 agonists. It may take you know, 10, 15 minutes,
0: but actually seeing whether there is a response or not. Yeah, and that's important. Yeah. And so we sort of say move on, and then there's this other sort of misconception or I don't know, is it, whether it's a misconception or not, but this idea of you you've got to be a certain age to have a diagnosis yeah. of asthma. This you're too young to be diagnosed with asthma. Is yep. that complete nonsense? That is complete nonsense. Good. We know
1: <laughs> <laughs> we know that asthma can present at any age. It is true that the older that you are, and again, in episodic uh, episodic wheezing or uh, chronic respiratory symptoms, the more likely it is to be asthma. And as I say, when you get a single presentation in the emergency department of a child with wheeze at under a year, it's probably not going to be asthma, but there are things that might indicate that this child is going to be at risk and this may be the start of an asthmatic disease.
0: Yeah. So I guess you get asked to see a lot of kids in your clinic with, could this be asthma? Yeah. What's, what's your sort of approach to the What sort of things would you ask in the history from the, from the parents and from the child if they're old enough? So first of all, um,
1: analysis of the symptoms, because I think that's where we all start. And asthma is fairly straightforward in that there are four things that you need to know about. Cough and the nature of the cough. Uh, wheezing, uh, breathlessness, and chest tightness, which of course you can't really assess in a in a smaller child. Um, so it's trying to eval- evaluate those various symptoms. Each symptom on its own is a very poor diagnostic uh, prognosticator but as a combination um, it may well support the diagnosis of asthma and then you need to look at uh, other supporting evidence, so uh, is there a history of other atopic disease in this child, is he eczematous has he got food, allergy Um, and then looking at the uh, family history and first degree relatives, Um, so has he got brothers and sisters with well defined asthma or parents that have got it so those are all risk factors that tip the balance towards the underlying cause of their wheeze being asthma rather than one of the more common uh, episodic viral
0: wheezing type problems. And I guess that's really important for parents sort of longer term. I guess from our perspective in the the emergency department, whether it's asthma, whether it's viral induced wheeze, the, the immediate treatment doesn't matter. It doesn't, no.
1: So the immediate treatment is the same, but in terms of
0: longer term
1: treatment or longer term um, implications for that child and the parents, then it really does matter. Mm-hmm. But we should never be in a rush to make a diagnosis of asthma. Um, and I think now when you look at the, uh, the latest BTS sign guidelines and the NICE guidelines, it's very clear um, that it should be a continuing evaluation process. And so, um, yes, yeah, some children, you'll get to that diagnosis very quickly. Some, it will evolve over time. Some will come to you with a diagnosis of asthma mm. and you'll end up actually unravelling it and saying, well, actually, this isn't asthma. Uh,
0: that I think that's a really important point, is that it's a continuous evaluation, as you yeah. said. It's Because I guess some people would come to you wanting... A label yeah maybe that's the wrong word but but wanting a diagnosis and yeah. actually having to say well it could be yeah but we need to sort of see absolutely
1: and you know I think that's our experience over time in clinic that uh, the diagnosis will sometimes evolve or actually um, you know be un- unresolved or will completely um, uh, clear up and there won't be any long-term issues. So, And again, the severity of symptoms don't really seem to play a part. Mm So you and I will know a number of children who've been in and out, in and out, maybe even needed uh, PICU support, Mm but HDU support for their treatment of wheeze because it's so severe. But actually, when you follow those up, if they've not got the chronic symptoms in between, they've not got the strong family history, you may look for atopic features with them, You may do other things to exclude other uh, respiratory problems. And if you find none of that, Mm. even though they've been so bad as
0: youngsters and toddlers, they actually outgrow that problem. Mm. And is spirometry something that you would sort of routinely do in clinic? And what sort of age of kids so we're much more used to doing it now. In fact, we,
1: we wouldn't be without it. So sometimes I'll be doing spirometry and taking a history and talking to parents and then I realise I've forgotten to listen to the chest. <laughs> but it, it is a very, very useful tool. So children of around five and above may be able to do it. We do have some younger ones. We do have some 12-year-olds that don't get the oh, technique. Well. So it is about um, their ability to do it. Um, looking at spirometry is really important to see if there's any evidence of airways obstruction. And if there is, is that airways obstruction reversible with a bronchodilator? And again, the other thing is that we also recognise that asthma is an episodic illness. So it's not about just doing that when they're well, because when they come to you in clinic, they may actually be be absolutely well, but actually demonstrating the fact that when they're not so well, when they've got chest symptoms, they've got that variability, they've got that abnormality in their spirometry, so it may not be there all the time. So again, uh, going back to my uh, my point that um, you may not be in a rush to make a diagnosis of asthma. Um, you need sometimes to see them when they are
0: symptomatic mm. or assess them at those times. Yeah, and how about things like sort of plain radiographs? Would you, do you use them a lot in clinic? I tend to
1: only use them for um, those. Younger children, um, where uh, they're under two, because occasionally um, you will find uh, structural abnormalities that you'd never pick up otherwise, or if there are atypical features, or perhaps they're failing to respond to what you think is an appropriate intervention. Mm. Um, certainly, we don't keep doing X-rays, mm. um, and I have been uh, have been uh, caught out once or twice by very young wheezers where I thought, oh, this is just a viral episodic wheeze. Who uh, subsequently had come back and had an X-ray, and we've actually found something, mm. you know, that's 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 relevant.
0: Uh, yeah, because uh, we kind of uh, at some stage I think we got into this mindset of first presentation of wheeze to the emergency department, get a chest X-ray. And I'm not sure why. And I think we've kind of moved away. From I think about. we have moved
1: away. And again, um, one and again, once you've got a, a diagnosis of asthma, there's certainly no real indication to keep doing X-rays, even if you're, you know, severely symptomatic at the time. So I think that has moved on. Right. And when we've audited our use of X-rays, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely much less. Um, so. Uh, Again, um, they have a limited value. Um, I have a low threshold in the very young chesty wheezers, a much higher threshold mm. in older children.
0: Okay, um, how about the happy wheezers? Are they are they a completely sort of different group? Or are they part of a spectrum,
1: do you think? I think they are part of a, a spectrum. Um, there's no doubt that you see uh, these slightly overweight, chubby babies oh. who seem you know, very happy and tolerant of any symptoms. Um, and again, if those are followed up, they're the ones who will tend to not have long-term problems. They tend to be resistant to um, any of the treatments that we use. And again, it's about reassuring the parents that there aren't any long-term um consequences um, and that their child is <laughs> thriving, if not overthriving. Yes. Um, so
0: it's recognising that still as a as a group. Yeah. Because some of these they sound awful. They, they no, do. That, and, and you you think oh I must give Absolutely. them something. And Nothing makes sense. And difference.
1: again, you know that's often why they end up seeing you in clinic because people comment to the parents when they're out shopping <laughs> and say oh have you not seen your doctor yeah. about your child's chest and it's horrible, and a lot of those babies also um, the a lot of their extra noises are upper away noises so Mm. these rattlers that uh, clearly are uh, quite noisy and symptomatic Um, and again there's no evidence that um, that they cause any long-term problems at all and that's often what the what the parents are worried about. Mm.
0: So thinking about the the wheezes that we're going to see there's the asthmatics, there's the bronchiolytics, there's the viral induced wheezes are there any other things that we should be looking out for? I mean the things in my head are could this be cystic fibrosis? What, are those the other things that what other things are, can present as well? So
1: obviously there, there are sort of atypical affections, the things like mycoplasma, those sorts of things that we always you know think about if it's a, a a first off episode and there's something not quite right with it. Um, and my cystic fibrosis patients, I do have uh, two or three. So um, out of about twenty-eight, um, that do get intermittent wheezing, oh. but it wasn't it wasn't how they um, presented. Um, I have had the experience of having uh, one inverted commas severe asthmatic referred to me many years ago. Um, and uh, when she came to clinic um, she was clubbed and she clearly was not an asthmatic and she did turn out to have cystic fibrosis mm. so uh, all those other differentials just need to be in the back of your mind in case there's something uh, atypical um, about it um, so you know the standard things on examination is this child thriving yep. um, is, is he clubbed is there anything else are there upper airway issues that may be uh, contributing so you know, in a small baby has he got a uh, um, tracheal tug, could this be a you know a, a laryngo malacia type problem or bronchomalacia type problem so it's all those but the vast majority of the things are going to fit into those simple diagnostic boxes, but just keeping that eye open for those additional things that might just ring alarm bells. Mm that doesn't quite fit with that doesn't it. quite fit with that that common pattern and of course you know it can be very difficult when you're seeing particularly in the middle of winter wheezer yeah, after yeah. wheezer after wheezer to to
0: identify one that just isn't quite mm-hmm. right and I, and certainly there with the neurologists you know they use a lot of Video images off phones. Do do you sort of use that? That people come and go look at them. Look at what they're doing. Look at this noise. Look yep. at this cough. Does, and uh, and it and it can be very helpful. Um, uh,
1: recording cough, recording particularly uh, breathing issues at night. Some some parents say, oh, they're always coughing and they're oh. very wheezy and heavy breathers at night and they show you a video and um, it's clear that they are working hard when they're asleep um, and it's very clear that often it's, a, it's an upper airway oh. issue related to adenoids or tonsils rather than anything else. But again, that use of uh, those
0: tools is really helpful sometimes. Because I think what... And one other thing I get across to my sort of medical students coming through is is what you might mean by wheeze might not be what parents mean by wheeze, and often sort of making the noise and and doing that expiratory noise. Absolutely.
1: I do a great um, impression of obstructive sleep apnea, which I have to to put into my clinic not infrequently. But you're absolutely right, because the, the studies have shown that if you ask a parent about noisy breathing... They will always call it wheeze. The only exception, really, is if they're asthmatic themselves or, you know, they've actually recognised wheeze. And um, so uh, there was a study done years ago um, uh, down in London um, at the um, Hackney Children's Hospital, and at that time what they did was when they... uh, Uh, respiratory clinic was running on they actually showed little videos to parents of different types of uh, noisy breathing and they found that that actually helped them resolve what the the breathing issue is with their child Um, the other thing though more modernly now uh, going back to the bts sign and the nice guidelines they talk about now medically professionally diagnosed wheeze so they're actually asking for some uh, documentation uh, as to somebody who knows what wheeze is having heard it and it's Mm -hmm. interesting because one of the things that I've often done is when uh, they come to see me in clinic and they said oh we were up in CED and they said we were really wheezy and things I'd always look at the discharge summary and that there'd always be something that said chest clear Mm -hmm. so there are ways and so that's that's been
0: introduced in those guidelines to try and tighten up what we mean by cool. these and, uh, yeah that's important because I think sometimes when people come to see me and they say oh he's been told he's got asthma mm. it, it's not in a challenging way but I say well who's, who's told, told you, about you. that yeah. and wh- why have they told you that yeah That's quite a reasonable thing to do. It it? is a very
1: reasonable thing to do. And, you know, when children come with a label of um, asthma and on all sorts of treatment, it's actually quite difficult. It's quite hard work to get them off of that Mm. and to undiagnose them. Mm. Again, it's not something you can do in a hurry. Uh, You've got to get the parents on board with it and um, it will, you know, take some time to do it. But the value is that that child comes off of treatment that he doesn't need, that not improving his symptoms, he gets that diagnosis gone, and, you know, the cost to the NHS of treating children with uh, mm-hmm. inhalers that don't need them, you know, is not insignificant.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about inhalers in the, in the next podcast. But mm-hmm. I guess one of the key things for us in ED that I'm sure you'd want emphasised again and again and again is plans. Yeah. A written plan. We must be doing written plans for these kids. Must we
1: must. Done. So um, this really comes from the um, NRAD um, uh, study looking at asthma deaths, Uh, was published in 2014 and unfortunately there were a a good number of uh, children asthmatic deaths in that Mm. Um, we're still not doing very well with it but it was highlighted that that, uh, a, a very very small proportion of those children actually had a written down asthma plan and I don't think it's the plan itself that's important it's the fact that somebody's actually gone through a plan with their parents whether it's written or not but that's what we're being audited on whether we do write it down and what we tell parents also is a useful thing to do um, is to actually take a photograph of that plan on their mobile phone because they probably won't have the plan with them but they almost certainly will have their mobile phone Um, so they'll have somewhere where they
0: can refer to it and it's simple things like checking technique absolutely and you know say what would you do if you you know and when would you seek advice absolutely Um, and
1: And so the plans have got much more simple so in the past they were very much around peak flows and uh, Mm. that sort of thing we've tried to get rid of that altogether and just to simplify it so there are there is a a national asthma campaign plan which is very good but we've actually developed one within the um, east midlands Uh, strategic clinical network uh, which has been devised across uh, Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire with the input of uh, uh, paediatric nurse and things just to make it very
0: straightforward and simple. That's important because the simpler the plan the more likely people are to follow it. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's my take home that we must from an ED perspective a plan but you're quite happy for me to diagnose asthma. Yeah. Excellent. Good. All right. Good. And not to diagnose asthma as well. Yeah. Just as good. important. <laughs> Undiagnose it. Perfect. Lovely. Thank you very much for your okay. time, Nigel. No Cheers. problem.